I don't know whether anybody's ever had to wait for something that they didn't know whether it's going to happen or not. Uh, I remember when I first moved to Newcastle, I'd arranged to meet a friend for coffee. Now, this is before the days of mobile phones, and I turned up five minutes early because I was really nervous. I didn't know whether, you know, exactly where it was. I was new to the city, and I waited. And I waited. And I waited. And I actually started walking up and down because I was like, how long do you wait? No mobile phone. Can't now text somebody and say, are you actually coming? I waited an hour, okay? I'd walked along a lot of steps in that hour, but I'd waited an hour, and of course she arrived, and she was really flustered, and she apologised, and I was like, of course it's fine. (laughs) But I waited. Now, Hannah beautifully introduced my morning for me. It's fab. Um, We sometimes find it hard to believe God's promises, especially when it seems like ages since we made them. But you're not waiting for your friend who you don't know whether they're going to turn up. You're waiting for a God who always turns up. Okay, so we've been studying the book of Joshua, and I've been asked to look at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. They're not in Joshua's time. So why are we looking at those? Let's look at the verses, and we'll have a look. So in Joshua 21... It says, so the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. And then the second verse that I was given, which makes me smile. And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. So I want to try and show you two things from these verses this morning. First of all, God fulfills his promises because he is faithful. God gives us rest for our souls because he is faithful. So our passage comes at the end of the book of Joshua. He's been dividing up the land and so that each tribe has a portion. The only tribe that didn't have a particular portion were the Levites. They were the priests. They were given cities and they were given various other things along the way. And that is just exactly how, how Moses had been told to do it. But to really understand the passage, we need to look back a little bit in the history. So we're going to take a whistle-stop tour, hopefully, through some of Genesis. And we're going to start with Abraham and Sarah. Now, they were a childless couple, and God stops Abraham. And we think Abraham is about 75 years old. And in Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham goes, and as God tells him, and travels to where the Canaanites have possession of the land. So this isn't his land. Here God says, to your offspring... I will give this land. So 
God's promising children and land, of which neither he has. Time passes. I don't know about you, but I'm very good at starting things. Phil picked up a book yesterday, and I said, oh, there's a bookmark in there. He said, yeah, most of our books have a bookmark in, Karen, that's yours, (laughs) halfway through. Um, So I start with good intentions, but we lose motivation. We forget why it's important. God knows this, and he speaks to Abraham again. And this is around 285 BC. I've tried to put some times on the top of the verses so that you get the idea. He says, look around from where you are to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Again, we see God promising children and land. No sign yet. Hold on. A bit later, Abraham's getting a bit impatient, understandably. God call, Abraham calls on God, and he says, well, God, how's this going to happen? I've got no children, and therefore, currently, the things that I own are going to go to my nearest relative. That's not what you're saying. God comes again, and God's response is, this man, who will not, will not be your heir, sorry, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside, and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. That's a bold claim to make to somebody who's got no kids so far, isn't it? And he's quite old. So at the age of 86, Abraham and Sarah take matters into their own hands and Ishmael is born. And God basically says, no, this isn't the right thing. We're not there yet. When Abraham is 99, okay, so we're feeling our age. I'm feeling my age at 50, 50 odd. Um, Abraham's a lot older. God comes to him again and he promises him a son with Sarah, emphasizing that he will be the father of many nations. Soon after, Isaac is born. So this is 2054 BC. There comes an unexpected turn of events when God asks Abraham to sacrifice his only son. Ah, 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 the promise is dying here. Isaac. Now, if it was me, I'd have been saying, hang on, God, what's going on? But no, Abraham is obedient to God, and at the last minute, a lamb is provided. God then promises in Genesis 22, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So time goes on and Sarah dies. He remarries and he has some other children. Abraham dies at the grand old age of 175. He's buried with Sarah, his wife, uh, in the only bit of land that in fact he actually owns. And he had to buy that. So he's died. He's had all these amazing promises, but he's not really seen much of it. So what happens to the promise now? It's been a long time coming. And in Genesis 26, God repeats the promise to Isaac, Abraham's son. He says, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them 
all these lands and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. There's a sort of similarity, isn't there, to these, all these verses. Still, there's no sign of the promise being fulfilled. Isaac has sons, and as he's coming towards the end of his life, he passes the blessing on to one of them, Jacob. God later speaks to Jacob about the same promise. So he says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust on the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob has 12 sons, and these 12 sons later become the 12 tribes of Israel that Joshua is now dividing the land between. God blesses him with flocks and lots of wealth, and he returns to the land that Abraham lived in. Joseph, Jacob's favorite son, is sold by his brothers into slavery, and I'm sure most of you know the story. It ends well. Joseph ends up as a governor of Egypt, but he moves his family to Egypt because of famine in the land, and that's all around 1875. So we've gone a long way already, got a long time. They're not in the land that God's promised them. They're now in Egypt. What's happened to this promise of the land of Canaan and, you know, all this? Uh, Jacob, on his deathbed, hasn't forgotten the promise that God made to him. And he makes Joseph promise to bury his bones, not in Egypt, but in the land of his fathers. Joseph, when he dies, still in Egypt, God's promise isn't looking too likely. The book of Exodus then picks up the story. And there are years of slavery and hardship, and it looks nothing like the people of God enjoying the land that God's promised them. It looks like the promise has expired. Okay, I think I'd be definitely, if I was these people, I'd be giving up on God by now. It's a long, long time. But Moses is born, and he's born four generations after Abraham. And after God sends plagues to afflict the Egyptians, Moses leads them out of Egypt and into the desert. And we know, looking back on this series, it wasn't until Joshua and Caleb came along and had faith that the, that the Israelites were eventually led into the land that God promised them. And that's where we get to our verses for today. We see that the promise that God initially made to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob and then to Joseph finally comes to fruition. It's taken a really long time. I'm hoping I don't have to wait that long for some of the things that God said to me. And you know what? They didn't see the the promise that God gave them. I always thought it was a bit harsh that he spoke to Abraham, he gave him this promise, and then Abraham just had to wait. And then I found this verse in uh, Genesis 15. And God speaks to Abraham. He says, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country that's not their own, that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at good old age. God knew in advance it was going to take time. He knew what was going to happen. 
In this case, the promise of the land and a people of God was given first to Abraham, then to Isaac, then to Jacob, and then to Joseph. And none of these people saw the promise being fulfilled. We have the privilege of being able to look back over history and see that God has fulfilled this promise. In fact, the writer of the book of Joshua emphasizes this. He says, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed to come to pass. Now, I said I chuckled at the bit about Joseph's bones. It seems a bit odd, doesn't it? So if we look at that, it says, and Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for 100 pieces of silver from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, and this became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. Why is it important? Why do we need to know that? It's a reminder of the faith of both Jacob and Joseph in a God who fulfills his promises, even though they know they may not see the outcome. Let's go back again to Genesis. Jacob is dying. He's still living in Egypt. That's not the land of his fathers or the land that was promised. He remembers the promise that God made to him, and he has faith that God will make it happen. He says to Joseph, his son, do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. Joseph agrees. He doesn't get to do it. When the time comes for the death of Joseph, he also hasn't reached the promised land, and he's still living in Egypt. And Joseph says to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones out from, up from this place. Joseph died at 110, and after they embalmed him, they placed him in a coffin in Egypt. Neither of them in the right place, are they? He's not in the promised land. How does he get here, there? Moses gets tasked with this job. In Exodus 13, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him over the Red Sea, because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. I have to say, I'm quite glad I wasn't the person that, I, that Moses saw as he turned around and said, right, you, you're carrying the bones. So eventually, here, we see that God has fulfilled his promise. So, but it's taken all the time to get to Joshua. He chose to use people on the way. These people had faith in God's faithfulness, even though they didn't see the fruit of it. In each of these men, God entrusted his promise. They had a hot part to play. It didn't happen quickly. They had to be obedient. Now, we live in a culture that expects things to happen really quickly. You will laugh when I say I had to wait for an hour for my friend. In the grand scheme of things, it's not very long. It's hard for us to remember the bigger picture. Sometimes growing in maturity takes time. God is faithful to us in that, but it can be hard to keep going. Despite what we sometimes think, I know that God will reward our faithfulness to him. As Luke said, we've been in Edinburgh some time, and we've seen people come and go, sometimes for great reasons, because they've gone off to do something else that God wants them to do, but sometimes they've just fallen by the wayside. And that's really sad. But being faithful to God is really important. 
Maybe it can help us to remember that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph all had promises that were fulfilled, but not until after they died. Maybe some of those promises that God has spoken to you won't come until after you've moved on. Maybe people you speak to about God in your workplace, day to day, they might not come to know Christ till years later. Our faithful constant witness is important. Now, Abraham, when he receives the promise, he doesn't seem to have been praying and asking for those things. God speaks to him promises all the same. And I think that's probably the same for us. Think back to when you weren't a Christian, you didn't know God. I wasn't looking for God. I don't know about you. I was quite happy without God. I wasn't brought up in a Christian home. I do remember friends in sixth form talking to me about God. They never know that what happened to me. Um, but God came and found me. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, maybe God is nudging you, drawing you. Maybe you just need to listen to those, those voices, that voice, drawing you into him. Let's just reread those verses once again. I've highlighted them this time, I hope. The writer emphasizes God's faithfulness. He repeats himself just to be sure that you really get it. The Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors. They took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. God's promises can be trusted. Why? Because he is faithful. It's easy to lose sight of the things God's promised us. Time has a way of withering those promises for us. And I guess that's why he repeats them many times. We might forget, but God doesn't. He is really faithful. What promises has God given you? Maybe recently, maybe a long time ago, when I was about 20, I remember somebody prophesying over me quite publicly. And it's only in the last year or so that I actually feel like God's reminded me and it's starting to happen. Time isn't necessarily God saying no. It could be that God is building your character. He's testing your faith. He's building perseverance. He's teaching you to pray. Lots of things. Maybe you're struggling and you need God to help you. There are loads of promises in scripture for us today. Let's just, I'm just going to read you a few. Um, in 1 John 3, it says, See how great the Father's love, the love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. In Psalm 103, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's true. It's not, not saying we have to do anything. He's done it. If you're a Christian, no temptation in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. In Romans 8, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When we remember the faithfulness of God, it builds our faith and we can believe for more. Um, some years ago, we were leading a small group. And looking back, we went through a phase where it seemed that every month or so, somebody needed to find a, a new job. And it was for lots of different reasons. Sometimes, some people had got to the end of a contract, some people were moving, some people had redundancy, 
all sorts of things. Well, we kept praying for jobs. And we've got a big rug in the middle of our lounge, and it became a bit of a joke that uh, we'd make people stand in the, on the rug in the middle of the group, and we'd all lay hands on them, and we'd all pray. But God responded, and that built our faith. So when we had to pray more than once, or we had to pray several times for these people, actually, we knew God does respond. God is faithful to that. He provides. And because we'd seen that working before, and we remembered the times because those people were still in our group, actually, we could pray in real faith. God, provide for this person a job. That's what these men of faith have done. They've remembered the promises. Um, we challenged Josh because he's with us for, at the point when he was with us for two more years, that maybe we could read through the whole Bible in the two years that he's with us. So we started in some of the Old Testament, and um, every so often, Josh is my son, he would come down into the kitchen and he'd say, Mum, why did we bother reading the last 10 chapters? They've just summarized it in this chapter. I could have just read this one. And it made me think, why does God do that? Why do these people who are writing the Bible do that? But you know what? We need to be reminded. Abraham was reminded by God. Jacob was reminded by God. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves. We need to remind ourselves of all sorts of things. Maybe you need somebody else to remind us. Yourself, you. Jesus told us to remember him when we take communion together. Recapping was God's way of reminding people, in this case, the people of Israel, of his faithfulness. And we all need to remember God's promises and remind ourselves of them. It builds up our faith. Let's remember here that as Joshua is speaking, uh, we've got all the land, we've done it all, God's provided. Actually, that's not quite true. He hasn't defeated everybody. Not all the enemies have been defeated. Luke pointed that out last week, didn't he? Actually, there are still some bits that need conquering. But God gives them rest. Just as he gives us rest. And that's not the Sabbath rest. So it's not saying, okay, we're going to have seven days and we're going to take a break. This is a rest from war. And it isn't to say they won't have any more war because clearly they hadn't defeated everybody. There is, it's a rest from Israel's enemies. And God has secured it for them by fighting for them. Remember, they gained the land by walking around the walls of Jericho. It wasn't the normal battle strategy. They made a mistake when they first attacked A, and it all went wrong. But they repented, and there was a second approach with God and victory. Is that the same for us? Yes, it is. Rest is something that Jesus gives us. In Matthew 11, it says, Come to me, all who are, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a rest for our souls. Do you know, we live in a really anxious time. I'm sure I blame phones, but there's lots of other things. We worry. Your colleagues worry, your friends worry. You know, will I make the next mortgage payment? Will my kids be okay in school? Will I fit in? Am I enjoying my life enough? Have I done enough to succeed at work, school, university, whatever it is? Am I missing out on that party? Do you know, FOMO was an expression that didn't exist when I was young. We didn't have social media, but you can fill in your own worries. 
Jesus says to come to me and I will give you rest. Now, I want you to look the next bit of the sentence or the next bit of the verse doesn't say, just lie down and go to sleep. It says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God wants us to do something with those promises that he's given us. Remember Joshua, he took hold and took action and he entered the land. Rahab, she hid the spies and then she sent the guys on a wild goose chase. The daughters of Zilophahad went and they asked for their inheritance and then they had to ask again for their inheritance. Caleb persevered and kept going. Those are just some of the people we've looked at in this series. I think it's the same for us. We need to take the promises of God that he's given us and pray over them. We need to take small steps, mostly, that God is prompting us to. Make them into a reality. Genuine faith moves because God says so. Can God save our neighbours, colleagues, without us? Yes, of course he can. But does he choose to involve us, giving us the work of witnessing to them? Yes, by his grace, he does. And that can be quite exciting, can't it? Terrifying as well. Can God reach unreached people without us? Yep, he can. But he's given us the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. That's not the same verse behind me, is it? And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. By his grace, he has given us the privilege of speaking to him, about him to others and seeing him work in their hearts. Rest here is a position of our heart. And we can have rest because we're trusting and believing God that he is faithful, just like he was faithful to the Israelites and he will be to, his, to, the, to us. Faithfulness is his nature. He's reliable. He's dependable. He does what he says he will do. Maybe you don't know God. And what I'm saying here is all a bit strange. Ask God to show you he's there. You could ask the person who brought you about God's faithfulness to them or come and speak to anybody who you've seen up here this morning. And we would be happy to tell you the experience of God being faithful in their lives. I've just dropped everybody in it, but there you go. Um, what promises has God given you? Do they weigh heavy on you? Have you stopped believing that God will act, that it'll ever happen? Have you put them down? Let's this morning pick up some of the things that God has called us to do. We all need to play our part. God has things for each one of us in here to do. And if you feel weighed down by it, bring it to God. He says his burden is easy. Have you lost faith for it? That's a time that makes it really heavy. Ask God for faith. God is faithful to fulfill all his promises. Maybe we need to ask God to bring them to us afresh, just like he did for Abraham. You don't know where to start? God can show you the next step. We look at people in the Bible who did loads of things. What they did were the ordinary first steps. They believed God. And as I've been thinking about it, I was wondering what it would look like. We often think of God's promises as massive things. And we look at, you know, famous people, or we look at people in the Bible, and they say, we say, they did massive things. I can't do that. Do you know, in the case of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, it is a massive thing. 
He promised that he removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. You don't have to think about them again. He prepared a place for us in heaven. He's interceding for us. Isn't that exciting? He's won the victory over sin and death. That's just a few. Nat gave you a few more this morning. You know, we could list off all these promises that are exciting. They don't take us to do anything. But what's our response? So our first response should be to worship the God who promises great things, not just to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, but to us as well. We can have faith because we see that God is faithful to his promises, that he brings us rest because he is faithful. We can remember the ways that God has been faithful to us and the promises that he's already fulfilled in our lives in an ongoing way. And we can be grateful for those things. So I do think we need to worship. But do you know what? All of us will be getting up tomorrow morning and most of us will be getting up to go to work. And clearly, walking in this means different things for different people of, of us. Sometimes, yes, you do need to make a big decision. There was a point in my life I had to decide to become a school teacher, which is what I do every day. Well, no, not quite every day. Three days a week. I've been doing it a long time. And God spoke to me and I got a place on the teaching course really quickly. Um, and I was really excited because I felt like, God, yep, yeah, you've really, really spoken to me about teaching. When I got to the end of my placement year, we all went around and we all applied for jobs. Oh my goodness, how many jobs did I have to apply for before I got one? I was beginning to lose hope. But actually, God had just the right place for me, and I stayed there for quite a long time until I moved to Edinburgh. I got promotion. I was really good at my job. I really enjoyed it some of the time. But do you know what? Actually, I knew that God had put me there. And they were big steps. But often, God's asking us to take small steps, and those small steps add up to a much bigger picture. We might not see the whole thing. Each time God spoke to Abraham, he just took the next small step. It's easier. Sorry, he asks us to take the next step, and he's told us about that. He doesn't always give us the whole picture. He he asks us to step into it, and then he tells us the next bit. So tomorrow, you might have a big decision to make, but for most of us, it'll be the small thing. So what am I going to be doing? I'll get up, leery-eyed probably. I will go to work, probably on my bike, and I'll use some of that time to say, please, God, will you help me in my classroom today? I might walk in and ask people how their weekend went, I will probably have my patients stretched because I've got a double period, which is far too long, with a new S1 group who are going to struggle a lot. I'm anticipating a few second years, pushing the boundaries, particularly one who's got a broken wrist and therefore can't be occupied with writing. Um, I'm expecting a few tearful people who are lost to pass my door and maybe have to say, come on, it's just here. I will fortunately see some sixth years who may laugh at me, which will be good. But do you know what? I won't do anything that none of you guys could think of me not doing. They're just normal, fairly boring, fairly average things. But the way that I do it makes a difference. And actually, people remember a lot of not what you said, but how you made them feel. And that's what it is. So every so often, I take cake in for my department, and that cheers them all up. Sometimes I might leave something on somebody's desk to cheer them up. Sometimes I might just say, how are you doing, if they look a bit sad? Do you know, there's lots of small things that we do, and that has 
more effect than we realized. So remember, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph were faithful in what God gave them to do. It doesn't mean they didn't make mistakes. They did make mistakes, some of them repeatedly, as do we. But just as they were, God used them, and he was faithful. And we, So we can know that God, one, fulfills his promises because he is faithful. And two, God promises rest for our souls because he is faithful. So what steps is God asking you to take? We need to be bold and make the first move. Remembering that that last bit of Matthew 20. And surely I am with you until the very end of the age. Now, I want you to respond. A very wise woman once said to me that um, it's when I was complaining that I wasn't hearing God speak, said, do you know what, Karen? You need to write things down. And as you write, God will speak to you. And I was like, what rubbish? But anyway, I went away and I did. And do you know, writing something down has a way of cementing something in our minds. It makes us really think, actually, is this what God's saying? Or is it just something that's churning over in my mind? So I want you to think this morning... I'm going to pause for a minute. I'm going to allow God to speak, much better than me. I want to encourage you to write it down. Maybe you've got a notebook in front of you. Maybe you want to get your phone out. Um, But there's something powerful about making ourselves commit. I was really struck by what Hannah said this morning. Um, There might be some promises that you need to let go of. Maybe you thought they were really important, and maybe they're not so important. Maybe God will bring them back to you later on. Who knows? But actually, we need to, you know, you've all got things that you, God's spoken to you about that he wants you to be working through. So do you have promises that you feel God hasn't fulfilled? Can you bring them back to God? Can you remind yourself of those things? Remind God of them. He doesn't need reminding, but he wants us to remind him of them. What's your next step? Maybe you do have a big decision that you need to make. And maybe you need to ask somebody this morning if they can help you with that, whether you can chat it through with them. Maybe you need to tell somebody, actually, this is what I feel that God has spoken to me about. And actually, you need to, this is what I need to do. That's another way of cementing, actually, God, that's what I'm going to do. But maybe you just need to think of the small things that you can do tomorrow. Maybe as you're sitting here, God's bringing somebody to mind. Maybe you need to send them a text, give them a phone call. Take a chocolate bar. Pray for them. See what happens tomorrow.
you feel like you need help, you're stuck, you're struggling, ask God to help you. Think of one or two of those promises that we've spoken about this morning. God calls you his child if you know him. You've been adopted as children. Do you know, we remember not for God's sake. We remember for our sake. He doesn't need to be reminded. Ask God to highlight some promises in scripture for you this week. And I would encourage you to write them down.